In this episode of Learning Tracks. Um, I think that was really helpful for me because every time that I look at something, I'm thinking about how does it align? How is it going to be assessed? Um, how, how does this fit in? And what is, the, what is the value and the skill that you're actually trying to teach? That's Rita Finley-Atkinson, Bill's coach at Sadler Means Young Women's Leadership Academy. We sat down with her today to discuss how her time in the classroom and her time as a Vils coach have helped her to become an effective planner. Hello, I'm Callie Alfred, your host of Learning Tracks. I'm joined today with Rita Finley-Ackison. She is our Vils coach and technology design coach here at Sattler Means Young Women's Leadership Academy in Austin ISD. Rita, how are you? I'm great. How are you, Callie? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. It's a brand new year, starting fresh, ready to get the semester going. Yes, definitely. <laughs> awesome. So our topic today is effective planning. Um, I feel like this point of the school year, when you're starting a brand new year, you're going into the spring, what better time to think about how we can better plan, how we can be more effective in our planning. So I want to start off and ask you, um, from your experience from uh, coming out of undergrad or coming out of the decision to become a teacher and come into education, what type of training do you receive uh, when you're thinking about planning? That really varies, especially today. Um, I feel when I started teaching about 15 or 16 years ago, most teachers were going through educator preparation programs in universities. And so uh, each of our classes really focused on some aspect of being a teacher um, and how you could effectively plan um, and the considerations that you would need to take so that you could be effective as a teacher right. for all of your students. And now I feel that there are a lot of alternative certification programs where that foundation isn't necessarily always there. So I think that the planning guidance that I was given as a new teacher was a lot more robust that, uh, than some um, of our newer teachers are receiving. Going through those alternative programs. Mm -hmm. Um, and, you know, it's a very different um, world in education, you know, 16 years ago than it is today. So, you know, there's things that always stay true no matter what. Oh, for sure. Um, you know, planning, of course, is always important. But uh, the things that you have to think about when you're planning today are a lot different because of the ways that you can integrate technology that just weren't available to us all those years ago. True. Very true. And, and you mentioned that uh, alternative certification track. Uh, I think the reverse side of that could be true also. You have some people that come into maybe, for example, the corporate world and have had some experience with project management or product development. And you have to be aware of planning and timelines and things so so uh, so succinctly that it could be a really good benefit for them to bring that into the classroom in the education sphere. Oh, yeah. There's uh, definitely so many different talents that you can bring uh, into a classroom and experiences. And particularly around technology, I think having experience with a lot of different tools and applications in different contexts outside of just the classroom mm -hmm. can be really useful because we are now starting to focus on skills that are transferable to the workplace. And so being able to speak to those work environments mm -hmm. and how those skills translate from the classroom into the workplace is really crucial right now. Oh, for sure. Oh, for sure. Definitely. Um, let's let's hop in the time machine. And let's mm -hmm. go back to our, our first year in the classroom. Um, hopefully those of us who are listening, thinking about our first year in the classroom isn't, isn't causing us to get any break into a cold sweats or anything like that. 
Um, but I know for me in my first year in the classroom, I learned a lot uh, about how to be a better planner because I was not a good planner at all. Was that a similar experience for you? A little bit. I was very lucky in that I had a really great master teacher when I did my student teaching experience. Mm -hmm. And so they really um, facilitated a an experience in my student teaching where they gradually released responsibility to me. Right. And so it was a really safe learning environment in which I could learn and apply and fail and grow mm -hmm. <laughs> and then continue uh, growing until I felt comfortable being um, and taking charge of a classroom. So uh, I was also lucky enough that that teacher was retiring and so I got to take their job. So oh, wow. I was very, very fortunate. And when I started teaching was right when No Child Left Behind mm -hmm. um, was kicking in. And so I think I one of the benefits that I had of coming in to teaching at that time period was that I had to realign the entire curriculum that I was teaching to standards, yeah. which really didn't exist before then. Yeah. So I had to really critically look at all of the curriculum, all of the materials that you know, we used at our campus and then reevaluate them in the context of a standards-based curriculum on which students were going to be assessed. Right. And so um, that, I think, was really useful. And um, I think it's weird to think that that didn't exist. Right, yeah. <laughs> at some point because, you know, that's what we talk now about, standards-based so standards teaching. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but... Um, I think that was really helpful for me because every time that I look at something, I'm thinking about how does it align? How is it going to be assessed? Um, how how does this fit in? And what is the what is the value and the skill that you're actually trying to teach based on this standard, which, you know, isn't always as clear as we would like them to be. Right. So you bring that up and it makes me think when I was doing my teacher prep program in college, um, maybe my professors, or at least the content, wasn't so uh, aligned to the idea of having to teach with standards. So for me, a lot of that um, aligning to standards and, and meeting pacing guides and things like that, I had to learn on the job. Like I knew I had to teach and assess, but I didn't know I had like a finite amount of time to, to get, that, uh, get the students over that finish line for one particular standard, you know? Uh, that, was, that was difficult for me to, to come to terms with in my first year. And that's another huge change that has happened because when I started, we didn't really have pacing guides. Mm -hmm. um, we were figuring this out from scratch. So um, now, you know, a new teacher is coming in and they have all of this mapped out for them. And so in some ways, um, a lot of the work is done, but then they also don't necessarily get the flexibility of choosing how they yeah. might uh, teach a curriculum yeah. um, because in a lot of subjects you do have some flexibility in how you can approach it. Mm -hmm. So there's there's pros and cons to it, but I do think that um, one of one of the things I think that I really enjoyed about planning my year, and of course this took a lot of time. This is not you know something you can do in a few hours. Was just really thinking about the arc. Um, and not just thinking of units as far as like one 45 or 90 minute lesson, mm -hmm. but really thinking about the long term of, you know, the skills that you need to teach, not just content wise, but 
also, you know, writing or verbal or language or technology tools even. Um, And I taught science, so we always had equipment that we had to teach our students how to use. On top of the standards and content. So a lot of it is just really um, having this overarching vision for um, how students might progress and then not even really knowing if that is even the right way to approach it. So it's a lot of trying things and realizing that they don't work the way you imagined and then regrouping and trying again. Let me me ask you, because I imagine that there are teachers out there who are listening to this right now and have maybe had some of those moments where they're a little frustrated, uh, palm and hands moment, if you will. Um, What does that process of regrouping and reflecting look like for you? Or what did it look like when you first had the realization, okay, I should try it this way? Well, for me, the very first thing that I focused on, I think for new teachers, this is really important. And even now as a coach, I even appreciate the importance of it even more is um, the aspects of classroom management and having systems and structures. Because if you don't, if you can't manage behavioral issues and you don't have really good systems and processes in place, then it's really hard to um, consistently address content effectively in your classroom if you can't manage all of those little things that happens. And I started in middle school. So, um, you know, kids are developing. They are, you know, starting to get that independent streak, defiance, pushing boundaries. And, um, you know, they're, they have hormones and all of these things happening Mm -hmm. with them and it can be very chaotic. And so you, you know, you never know which version of a child (laughs) you're going to get that day. And so for me, um, classroom management systems and procedures were really, really important, Mm -hmm. um, for me. And so that was the thing that I always looked at is when something didn't go as planned, the first question I asked was, okay, what did I not take into account? Because usually it's something that I did or didn't do. Um, And usually it was directions. Um, Coming up with good directions is really difficult, uh, especially if you're trying something that you've never done before. Um, Then the second thing that I would look at was what factors contributed um, to whatever was happening in the classroom. So one of the one of the best things um, and practices that I got into as a new teacher was that um, every six weeks I um, I would reassess what was working and not working in my classroom and I would change systems because the six weeks was a natural, you know, restart, refresh. Right. And, um, you know, sometimes I, I would just be frank with my students and say, hey, this really isn't working, you know, um, so we're going to try something new. Um, you know, do you have feedback for me? Um, what What is frustrating for you about this? Um, what would be helpful to you? Mm-hmm. And I would share what my concerns were and we would have a discussion. We would We would try something new and they just knew to expect that at the end of every six weeks, something was going to change. And that was really nice because um, they realized that this was a community, that we all had a a shared responsibility in making it work, that, um, and that, you know, things didn't have to stay the same. 
Um, and the only time I ever changed something right away was if it was absolutely catastrophic failure, <laughs> which <laughs> oh, does happen. In the <laughs> <laughs> and there would be days where I'd be in the middle of a lesson that just was going so horribly wrong that I would be like, stop. Um, this is not working. Where's my Bill Nye? <laughs> <laughs> Um, I need to completely regroup because if I keep, you know, trying yeah. to continue, this is going to be really frustrating for yeah. all of us. Yeah. And let's just step back and then try it again tomorrow. <laughs> it sounds like your kids really responded well to this, this level of transparency, though. Yeah, um, I think one of the things that it showed them is that we're all human that we don't necessarily know all the answers all the time mm -hmm. and that it's okay to fail. And it's okay to fail publicly and nothing bad happens. Yeah. Um, and I think especially now with high stakes t testing, there's sometimes this feeling that if you don't do something the right way the first time, yeah. then um, that's it, you're done. And the reality is, is that really, there's very, very few things in life that are one chance only. Yeah. Uh, most things you can keep working at them until you get better. Oh, for sure. And people are willing to give you opportunities to try again. So just instilling that, I guess, grit is what we would call it now. Yeah. And that resilience, mm -hmm. um, I think, is really powerful for students. And when adults model it, um, it becomes really powerful for them. So in the in terms of effective planning, if I had to kind of put that in like a, a little bucket for for our listeners, a lot of uh, what you've learned around effective planning from the classroom perspective comes from trial and error. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that teachers, or at least I can spec, uh, speak from my perspective, um, when I was uh, very early in my practice, I kind of had this um, misleading, no, uh, misinformed notion that the teacher should be infallible, that I should be perfect in, you know, having all the facts, having all the right answers, having things laid out perfectly in a line uh, that it should be in instead of letting my students know that I am learning some of these things just like they're learning some of these things. How would you encourage a teacher to adopt that mindset but also see the value in it? I think one of the most difficult things, um, particularly now as an educator, is that um we all grew up with our teachers, uh, adults, every adult in our life being the expert mm -hmm. um, or having knowledge that we didn't have. And I think one of the biggest adjustments that we have had to make, um, everyone, is that all this information is available online now. Yeah. Um, people can just look anything up. So if you say something that's incorrect, your kids can literally fact check you I right then and there. <laughs> I hope they do. I, and, and, you know, I think that's the biggest thing is just changing your mindset mm -hmm. that um, that you um, do not know everything and just freely admitting that. I remember when I started teaching, I would tell my students that I was human, I would make mistakes, and that they should never – you know, take something that I said as pure fact that they could look things up and call me out on it mm -hmm. if I was wrong. And in fact, I would reward my students if they caught me uh, making an error. Um, because to me, it's it's creating a safe space for a dialogue. Mm -hmm. 
And um, when you're teaching, there's very few things that are black and white. Most things are very complex. Um, so it's very rare that there's a um, unless you're talking about math, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> where there's truly a right or wrong answer. But I mean, I think about science, um, which is what I taught, and all the stuff that we know now that we didn't know back then. Mm-hmm. And um, the the discussions that you can have about things that we don't know yet or that people are looking into. Um, and that's really where the learning takes place because that's the curiosity and the imagination. And I think when you're... Uh, when you're willing to be vulnerable, students are willing to be vulnerable too. And again, it's something that we have to teach. Yeah. And if we model, and so it's it's hard because you're basically giving up control. Um, but I think the the anxiety that comes from giving up control um, is worth the payoff that you end up getting, which you may not see right away because yeah. our kids are still accustomed to are trained to believe that adults know everything. Um, and sometimes them realizing that we don't know everything is just as difficult for them as it is for us. That's very true. Very true. Uh, you mentioned giving up control. I want to use this as an opportunity to pivot mm-hmm. a little bit um, because when it comes to planning uh, individually, I think it's a totally different beast than when you're having to plan collaboratively mm-hmm. that with a, a great level team, a PLC team, a school leadership team, what have you. Um, what would you say are the maybe benefits of collaboration and planning? Well, I think there there's a lot of value to both. Um, right now, I happen to work at a school that's very small. So most of our teachers, um, there's like, for example, there's only one sixth grade science teacher. Mm. Um, so it'd be very hard to plan collaboratively with someone else. Um, But then I've also worked at schools where there are really large departments. Um, But even if you work in a really small school like I am now, you can still collaborate with other people. And I think, which is how I started um, when I planned, I always planned collaboratively. And I think the value, um, there's value in both. And I always appreciate when you can have collaborate on the large vision um, and the large goals mm-hmm. that you want for all your students, but then leave wiggle room for, um, you know, individual touches to the instruction. So there's a little space in there to make it your own. Yeah, I think when you have a good combination of both is when it really, um, planning really, you know, comes to life. Mm-hmm. Um, because all of us have different strengths and weaknesses. And so I think sometimes we veer too far into everybody has to do the same thing. We are going to, everyone has to do, we're all going to, we're all going to create this together. We're going to come to consensus and everyone's going to do it the same. And then on the other end, we have the, we're all going to work individually and do whatever we want. Right. Um, but I think there's a really sweet spot in the middle. And um, I know uh, as a coach, and also as a teacher, there were things that I um, sometimes don't think about mm-hmm. um, that other people have more expertise or have more passion for. And their voice makes me better and it makes me grow. That added it, perspective. Yeah, the added perspective. And um, 
there's I've never been in a situation where everybody didn't want to make something better. Mm-hmm. So um, even if you just have a conversation and you don't change something, you still had the conversation and you still intentionally cho- chose to do something a certain way rather than just doing it because that's the way you've always done it. Right. Um, and I think that conversation piece is is important because that really goes into the heart of knowing why you're doing what you're doing mm-hmm. instead of just doing something because this is the way we've always done it. So um, I don't want to lay out uh, your entire resume for our listeners, <laughs> but Rita is uh, is working on a, is it a PhD right now? Mm-hmm. Um, is also applying to um, at least one, maybe several conferences to present at soon. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, are, you're presenting at one this spring. Um, is yes. A, yeah. So a lot of things on our docket. Mm-hmm. So you, you can kind of see why I, I really wanted to have this conversation about planning with her. So uh, in speaking with another colleague, uh, we talked about how different the role of planning is when you're a teacher versus the role of planning when you're a coach. Mm -hmm. Uh, What has been some of the, um, for all of our coaches listening out there, what have been some of the beneficial um, ideas or approaches that you've adopted to set your time and manage your time effectively as a coach? That is a really, really big question, <laughs> uh, one that I think I'm still trying to answer for myself. Um, so Being transparent, yet again. yeah. Uh, so I think because I have so much on my plate right now, um, managing my time is always um, is difficult. Um, I think I happen to thrive under pressure and deadlines. Mm-hmm. Um, so even though it is still overwhelming. Um, there's um, a little thrill and excitement um, that I get from it, although there's um, sometimes when it's a little bit too much. So I think for me, for planning, and I, and I think this goes back to um, what I was talking about earlier when planning instruction for my classroom is kind of having the um, the overarching idea mm-hmm. for what it is that you want to accomplish. So I have worked in a lot of different roles um, before I became um, a Vils coach um, and also just a coach in general. And I think when we first found out about this grant, um, one of the first things that I did was try to learn as much about my campus. I started doing student shadowing. I started looking up at all the survey data and public data that was available on our campus and trying to get to know the people who worked here um, and the students so that I could find out what I was literally walking into, what the need was, Mm -hmm. um, and kind of get an idea. And from there, I, I kind of basically came up with a plan um, that again was uh, created collaboratively um, with administration, with teachers, yeah. you know, getting feedback from a, a bunch of different people, um, but kind of an idea of what maybe the top, you know, three to six priorities might be in tackling it. And it's funny because now when I look back at those documents, what I would say now is completely different. <laughs> um, but what I think that did for me was that it gave me a focus. Um, So I kind of had an idea of uh, what the biggest needs were and had starting places. And then 
the longer that I've worked with the campus and seen the evolution, because of course we didn't have devices and now we do. Mm -hmm. um, and then, you know, there's other factors outside of technology right. that affect implementation um, is just really being open to listening and being able to pivot. Um, but I really think the most helpful thing is really focusing on the priorities and then not worrying about the other stuff. Um, some There's some stuff that you have to worry about that's not a priority to you, but is a priority to somebody else. <laughs> yeah. But when you really sit down and think about what really matters um, and you just focus on that, it's really simple to decide what to focus on and what is something that you don't need to waste your time on. Mm -hmm. um, and once you do that, then also finding where things connect. So um, like with school, anytime that I can connect something that I'm doing with school to something that I'm doing with work or vice versa, um, I always try to do that because um, every experience that I have, even if it's not directly related, informs my perspective. So I always look for opportunities to connect what I'm doing um, with other aspects of my life in some way. So that's interesting. It reminds me of this thing I came across. Um, I was, I think I was reading on an airplane, um, mm -hmm. uh, this idea about uh, habit stacking, mm -hmm. where if there is a positive um, habit or, or attribute you'd like to adopt, what you do is stack it on top of something you're already doing. Mm -hmm. So like if you wanted to do, um, if you wanted to drink more water or something, then maybe whenever you warm something up in the microwave, while it's in the microwave, you get a glass of water and drink it. And that's one way that you can stack your uh, your habit of drinking more water on top of something you might do more often, especially if you're you're uh, warming up something in the teacher's lounge. Mm -hmm. um, but it sounds like um, with what you're saying, it, it's a good idea for coaches and maybe even teachers to do some similar stacking, maybe not necessarily with habits, but perhaps with tasks or um, responsibilities. So in your case, the work that you're doing as a part of your degree um, as a part, uh, might be something that you have, uh, stack some things you're doing here at work on, or some things you might be doing with the district on, uh, to kind of get those common connections. Is that, that sound accurate or? Yeah. So to me, anytime, um, I, I get something. So, um, and I mean, it can literally be anything. It can be an assignment, uh, for, uh, my, my program. Um, it could be an activity for the VILS coaching pathway, um, it could be a conference that I might be considering putting a presentation for or maybe um, a coaching um, problem that I'm working with a teacher or with the campus. Um, I always try and look for opportunities for how it can connect to something else that I'm doing. So there's because you only have so much time. Mm -hmm. So if maybe I'm tackling a problem at work and I get a an assignment or something and I can pivot it towards yeah. something that I already need to research um, then I try and do that as much as possible and that's actually what I recommend for my teachers too is um, one of the first questions that I always ask them when um, we start having a coaching conversation is what what is it that you want to work on um, what is it that is either something that you're passionate about or something that you're trying to fix? Um, 
because the goal of you know technology isn't to make things more complicated. It's supposed to help you address something yeah. that you already have. It so makes if the workload easier by definition. Yeah. So if it's complicating it, then why are we doing yeah. it? Um, so I always like to start with um, what are you already doing, and how can we make that better. Or what is something that you need to be doing? <laughs> and how can we make that process easier for you? <laughs> or make it happen for that matter. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Awesome. Um, one one other question I wanted to ask you um, before we wrap is, so we've talked about planning from a teacher mm -hmm. perspective and, and planning from a coaching perspective. Uh, in your case, and for maybe some of our VILS coaches um, who might be listening or teacher leaders out there who might be miss, uh, might be listening uh, they are perhaps now having to plan on a more school um, level. Mm -hmm. um, maybe they're partnering with school leadership or partnering with a, an assistant principal or a principal for that matter to do some sort of planning uh, that might resemble what you described already as the arch. Mm -hmm. um, what tips or what um, recommendations to approaching that from someone who's only had to uh, plan within the silo of their classroom and are only for fresh eyes, maybe even just a semester, mm -hmm. having to plan on a school level? Oh, this is a really good question. Um, so for for me, I think the biggest advice that I can give is that as a coach, you're not the one driving the bus. Um, it's the people around you. Um, your your job is literally to make um, the vision of the teacher come to life mm -hmm. and facilitate that process for them to be able to do that work. Um, or a PLC, or your school. Mm -hmm. So, um, and I think that's really hard because a lot of times we have our own ideas and vision for how we would like for things to go. But really as a coach, your job is not to be the vision, you're not the manager. Um, your job is to facilitate other people on their journey. And you're so the I, stage hand and not the yeah, production. exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so I think the the first thing is listening to what other people want and what their needs are. Um, so when I'm talking with um, administration or with other coaches or um, with staff, I'm always listening for what they need to do um, instructionally. Mm -hmm. What are their pain points that they have? And if I have a potential solution or way that I can help facilitate something that they already need to do, then um, I offer my help um, and coaching um, in order to make that happen. But I think the the biggest thing or one of sometimes the things that I see is people think of technology as something that you add on that's extra. It's a separate initiative. In addition to. And really, technology is just a tool to help you do everything. Um, and that's how you kind of have to treat it. Um, you know, it's, it's a tool to help you instruct. It's a tool to help you create. It's a mm -hmm. tool to help you learn. Um, it's not the goal in and of itself. Um, and I mean, ultimately, you know, when you start looking at the Tim and transformative, it's just you use it without even thinking about it. Yeah. Because it's totally transparent. It's 
what it's just a tool that you're using yeah. to accomplish something yeah. and you're not focusing on well i'm using you know a chromebook right. and i'm using google sheets today yeah. um that's not the purpose <laughs> <laughs> when i make that point to teachers I, I use the analogy about um i try to find someone who's got like a writing utensil near them and i say mm -hmm. hey can, can you write your name really quickly and they write their name down on something hopefully it's not a table or anything <laughs> And they're like, yeah, I can do that. I was like, did you think about how you were holding the pencil when you did it? You're like, no. But when you were first learning how to write, that might be one of the most laborious tasks you have trying to figure out how do I hold this? Is it comfortable? Am I, am I actually able to write correctly? But now you've become so proficient that that is now a transparent use of that tool. Mm -hmm. uh, that's what happens when, you become, when, when things start to become more transformative. So the technology, uh, to your point, isn't making things more complicated. Mm -hmm. It's, uh, in fact, not even making uh, any taking up any space within what you're doing. And I also tell teachers that um, uh, when we do our before school ends workshops, because it's our first touch point with schools, and mm -hmm. a lot of them are worried about, well, what are these devices going to do in my classroom? Uh, and I, I make perfectly clear that it's not meant to be one more thing on your plate. And if anything, it's, it's a fork to help get things off your plate. You know, so <laughs> I like that. <laughs> and they, they seem to, to like, oh, OK, but I don't, still don't know if it's going to work, but they, they eventually warm up to it. So um, with that, I want to I want to wrap today the same way we wrap every episode. Mm -hmm. I want to give you an opportunity to shout out some of the teachers that you've worked with maybe last semester, some teachers you plan on working with this semester, some things you're looking forward to. Uh, also, Austin, you guys have five schools here. So if you want to shout mm -hmm. out any of your other Reveals coaches, technology design coaches, uh, give them your time to do that. You can shout them out now. Oh, awesome. Well, I definitely want to give a shout out to um, our other Reveals coaches, which would be um, Tori Hannabury, Jack McGavick, Shane Rosencrantz, and um, Sharon uh, Laidlaw. And, um, and then also our entire technology design uh, team, because... Um, we we really try and collaborate as much as possible, sure, yeah. um, which, you know, is has been really helpful because you always have people to bounce ideas off of and you're never really completely alone. Um, and then uh, there's the entire staff at Sadler has just been absolutely amazing. Um, and um, a couple of the teachers that I've been working with, like Miss uh, Miss Grona and Miss Metzer and Miss Matula. Uh, Mr. Hall um, and Ms. Duong um, and but you know that's only a few of them and and everyone has been amazing they're all you know happy to try things and they're all excited mm -hmm. um, and they're they're all each in their own way just doing something absolutely amazing um, and so it's always a joy to go into their classrooms and see what they're up to and what the kids are doing um, because the the staffing community here at Sadler is just really special. And then I don't, um, I know you mentioned it at the beginning, but Sadler is an all girls school. Yes. So um, it's, it's really, it's, it's an extra special community because we're trying to help our young women become confident and feel comfortable using technology and, you know, encouraging them to go into STEM fields mm -hmm. and things that they may not have necessarily considered in a really safe place where they can thrive and so um, it's just amazing yeah and I, if I could sprinkle a few more bragging notes on top of that you guys really do have a great community that you've cultivated for these uh, these young women uh, I've had the opportunity to go into several classrooms uh, I was here for the day of you all's rollout and there is such a visible energy not just from the from the teachers who clearly want to be here and enjoy being here but for those girls too they really do enjoy 
all the lessons that I had an opportunity to, to observe them in, in in the classroom and then also the interactions in the hallway there you can tell there's a bond here that you guys have really been able to stoke and it is it's quite visible from uh, the students who are you know raising their hands as high as they can like almost touch those the ceiling tiles or the the, the lights that are in the ceiling uh, to the teachers um, the the teacher that I saw during a rollout who's beatboxing in the hallway <laughs> <laughs> and breakdancing just to tell kids that this is the door to go collect their devices. Uh, this is this is a campus that has such a powerful energy for um, support and mm-hmm. for learning that I, I really do feel like you guys have created a launch pad here for these girls to do some really amazing things. Yeah, it's it's very, very special. And um, the the young women at this at this school, they just have so much potential. Well, like all children, they have yes. so much potential and just to see them in a space that they feel safe and uh, where they're encouraged. Um, and then especially as, as young women, um, particularly at this age, mm-hmm. um, it's, it's really s- something special to be part of. Definitely, definitely. Well, that concludes our episode here for Learning Tracks. Uh, for those of all of you all listening, if you have any questions about uh, the modules you're going through or any upcoming uh, events or opportunities as a part of the VILS program, please, please, please reach out to your associate directors of professional learning, my colleagues, or your VILS coach. As always, thank you all so much for listening, and we hope you tune in next time.